Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Lord, I thank you so much for your presence here this morning, Lord. I pray that it would only increase, Lord, that you would increase as we decrease, God, that your glory would increase in our lives, in our community, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit in a mighty way, Lord, that you would do mighty, mighty things. We believe you for that, and we pray your, uh, your, your blessing over every gift, over every giver. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, we're going to jump right in this morning. Uh, last week, we began a series full of grace. Uh, John said when Jesus came, he was full of grace and truth, that the law came through Moses, but that grace and truth came through Jesus uh, Christ. Uh, now, we talked about how, uh, despite the fact that Jesus never taught on grace, at least not recorded in Scripture, he never spoke about grace, he never talked about grace, let, yet John looked back and he said, this man, Jesus Christ, was defined by grace, and, and Jesus uh, would over and over, rather than talk about it, he would live it. He would insert himself into these situations where he was pitted between the law and tradition and grace and compassion. And without fail, Jesus would choose grace. So the question we asked last week as we ended was why? Why did Jesus go to such great lengths to place himself in these situations where he had to choose between the law and grace. And we looked even at the situation with the water and the wine where Jesus actually brought that conflict into the conversation. I believe there are two primary reasons that Jesus inserts himself into these situations and chooses grace. One we talked about last week, one we're going to talk about today. But last week we talked about he did this to reveal the heart of God. Uh, there was a misunderstanding about the heart of God at the time because they had learned uh, from the religious leaders of the day uh, some, some, some falsehoods about who God was. And Jesus, the Bible says, uh, he said, uh, everything that I have spoken to you, the Father commanded me to say it. And then he said, uh, everything you see in me, when you see me, you see the Father. In other words, he's saying, everything I say and everything I do is a revelation of the heart of God, the heart of the Father. So the first thing he did, we talked about last week, is he revealed the heart and the attitude of grace that's the heart of God. Uh, the second thing that Jesus is doing is, is, is on a bit of a broader scale. I want to show you this morning that what Jesus was doing in the physical uh, was actually pointing to a shift and a transition that's taking place in the spiritual. Uh, but before we get into that uh, too deep, uh, I first want to make sure that we recognize a couple things about the law. This law that Jesus was choosing grace over. First, uh, Jesus was not degrading the law. Jesus was not demoralizing the law or destroying the law. In fact, Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. What Jesus said was, I did not come to abolish it, but I came and Jesus said, I met every purpose and I met every requirement so that you would not have to live by that, but you could live in him. Second, the law that Jesus was airing with grace over uh, wasn't simply a set of rules. Uh, the law was the framework for man's relationship with God. Man has always had a covenant relationship with God, and the covenant at the time was inseparably tied to the law in the Old Testament. You can actually look at uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Everybody's heard of the Ark of the Covenant. 
because most of us grew up with like the Indiana Jones era, and that's what I always think of with the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, we're going to cut that out of the, the podcast. Uh, so the Ark of the Covenant, if you study it, actually what you'll find is on 25 occasions, uh, when they reference the Ark of the Covenant, they don't just leave it at that, but he says the Ark of the Covenant law. Uh, because it was the covenant law is the relationship that uh, was the framework for, for God's relationship with man. The covenant was the law. The law was the covenant. The 600 laws of Moses was the basis for man's relationship with God. Our ability to follow those 600 laws determined whether we had the favor of God. Uh, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, where uh, God spoke to the people and he said, I lay before you a choice between life and death. Uh, he said, uh, basically, if you keep the law, you'll have my favor. You'll have blessing and life and prosperity. But if you turn away from the law, and if you're disobedient, then you have then broken the covenant, and you receive death and destruction and curses. And what Jesus is demonstrating when he pits himself between the grace and the law, and he chooses grace, isn't just a revelation of God's character. But Jesus is actually demonstrating and pointing to a transition that is taking place in the covenant relationship between God and man. There is a transition in the covenant where we are moving from the covenant, a relationship that is based on strict obedience and the law and works, into a covenant that is based on grace and forgiveness and faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews, in fact, uh, that Jesus was the mediator of a new covenant. It says it was a superior covenant and a better covenant. I am thankful that we live in the days of a superior and better covenant. But in, uh, in other words, man's relationship with God under Jesus Christ was based on new terms. Rather than the law and works, it would be based on grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Now, uh, this new covenant that was based on grace and forgiveness, it was demonstrated in his actions, uh, in, in almost all of his miracles, in fact, and it was sealed and became permanent at the cross. What I want to show you today is an example of Jesus pointing to the change that's taking place in the covenant, uh, pointing to this covenant of grace and forgiveness. Paul called it the gospel of grace. In fact, Paul said, I, I can't believe, he's speaking to a church, he said, I, I can't believe that you're uh, deserting the gospel of, the, of grace, because if you leave the gospel of grace, it's not the gospel anymore. He said, the, the gospel is the gospel of grace. Uh, what I want to do is actually look at a passage that we looked at last week. We're going to look at it again, and we're going to go a little deeper today. Uh, the story takes place in John chapter 2, uh, where Jesus uh, is at a wedding, and they have run out of wine. And if you remember from last week, we talked about how this wasn't a life or death situation, but it would have been humiliating for the, the bride and the groom to host a wedding that runs out of wine. Starting in verse uh, 6 of chapter 2, it says, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. 
Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. It says this, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Uh, we looked last week at how Jesus opted to bring these ceremonial jars into the picture. And before he did that, there was no conflict in the miracle. There was no confrontation with the law. But what Jesus does, instead of refilling the old empty wineskins, he has them fill the, the ceremonial jars. He actually brings the conflict of the grace verse law into the picture so that he can choose grace. But John used a... Uh, a unique word here when he's describing what Jesus did, turning the water into wine. Uh, John did not say that this was Jesus' first miracle. He didn't say it was his first mighty work. He didn't say it was his first wonder. He said what Jesus did here was the first of the signs that Jesus did. Now this is important because a sign is actually different. Uh, it's just like if you leave here and you look at a sign. What does that mean? A sign points to something beyond itself. We have a sign in front of the church because it's pointing to the reality that there's a church here. If a sign says stop, it's pointing to the reality that you need to stop. It's pretty simple. Uh, actually, I have the, the Greek here, uh, the word that John uses, if you'll put that up, Greg, simeon, uh, 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 and this is what it means. It means a sign, a mark, or a token foreshadowing events soon to happen. So when John is using this word to describe what Jesus does when he turns water into wine, he says this is what Jesus is doing in that moment. Jesus is revealing a sign that is foreshadowing events that are soon to happen. In Matthew 12, uh, the same thing happens when they ask Jesus for a sign, and he says, the only sign that you'll get is the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the well three days, so I'll be in the belly of the earth three days. In other words, uh, the, the sign of Jonah is pointing to something beyond itself. It's pointing to Jesus in the grave for three days before the resurrection. But back at John 2 here, what is the changing of water into wine pointing to beyond itself? If it's a sign, if John points out this is not just a miracle or a wonder or a mighty work, but it's pointing to something, what is it pointing to? So we're going to go back to what we did last week. We're going to look at those ceremonial jars that Jesus brought into the picture. Last week we, we mentioned how these ceremonial jars were intended for one purpose and one purpose only. They were meant to make clean that which was unclean. These jars were for the purpose of cleansing anything that was unclean. And when Jesus filled them with water, there was no issue. There was no conflict, no offense. That's what you do. You fill them with water. But the moment that Jesus changed them into wine, that's where the conflict occurs in, in, in the narrative. And that's where the sign occurs in the narrative. What does Jesus tell us about wine if we looked at... Uh, the Last Supper before he goes to the cross. In Luke chapter 22, verse 20, speaking of the wine, Jesus said, this cup, this wine represents the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So what's the sign in John chapter 2? Jesus is pointing to a day where people would no longer be cleansed by the law, but they would be cleansed 
by the blood of Jesus Christ in the new covenant. There's a sign taking place here in the first miracle where Jesus is pointing them to a day where he says, this will no longer be how you were cleansed, but I am changing that water into wine, representing my blood, and that will be how you are cleansed. And church, I, I absolutely love what he says next, and I've, I've, never, I've never seen this until this week. But the Bible says that Jesus turns to the servants, and he says, take the water that's been turned into wine and present it to the master of the banquet. He says, I want you to take the wine and present it to the master. Now we're going to go back to the Old Testament law again and make a comparison here. Because under the Old Testament, when people inevitably broke the law, uh, they had to do something called a sin sacrifice or, or a sin offering before God. And since they broke the law all the time, they had to do it all the time. And 2 Chronicles 29 gives us an insight into what this looked like when they would make a, a sin offering. It says that the priest then slaughtered the goats and they, pre they presented their blood on the altar for a sin offering to atone for all the sins. Under the Old Testament law, they would take that blood and they would present the blood as a way of covering their sins. Jesus changed that water into wine. He said, I want you to take that wine and present it to the master. Church, I think Jesus was grinning from ear to ear because I think Jesus knew that this wasn't just about a wedding. Jesus was looking to a day where he would say, when you stand before God, you present the blood of the Lamb and you are cleansed. You might be here and think you have the deepest, darkest past with the deepest, darkest, darkest secrets and you look around this room and you think to yourself, if they only knew, if they only knew, you may feel unlovable and unforgivable and irredeemable and unsavable, but Jesus established a new covenant, a better covenant, a superior covenant on your behalf. And under this blood, there is no ritualistic sacrificing of animals and presenting their blood to atone for your sins. But Jesus says, just take the blood of the lamb and present it to the master. Church, when you present the blood of Jesus Christ to the Master, you are clean, you are pure, you are holy, you are righteous forever. And Paul says this in... in well, he says to, to the Ephesian church that because of everything that Jesus has done, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. And in Hebrews chapter 10, it says this, uh, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. How? 
by that blood of Jesus Christ. If you go back under the law, there was no entering the most holy place presence of God unless you were the high priest, the purest of the pure, and you were there to sacrifice for the sins of the people. But what they're saying here is you have every right because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of the blood of Jesus Christ that you present to the Father, that you can enter into the manifest presence of God. The very next verse says, Because we have this confidence by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. That means you don't have to put on a mask. There's no facade. Well, some places make you wear a mask. But uh, spiritually speaking, you don't have to wear a mask. And with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, Church, Jesus pointed not just to a lifestyle and a heart and the characteristics of grace and everything he did. Jesus was pointing to what Paul called the gospel of grace, salvation by grace alone. When Jesus uh, touched the leper, it, it was grace that did what the law refused to do. The law wouldn't touch him. When Jesus touched the woman with the issue of the blood, it, it was grace that brought healing, J uh, uh, grace that did what no one else could do. Uh, she spent all of her money on doctors. Uh, we talked last week about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And in John chapter 8, uh, verse 11, when Jesus looked at her and said, I, Neither do I condemn you. And Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Church, grace flipped the script of what it meant. Even to repent, because under the law, under the law, if you sinned, you had to work your way back into God's good graces. And the law was the foundation. That was the starting point for your relationship with God. So when you woke up, you kind of woke up a sinner. But under grace, and we see it in this story, under grace, your relationship with God begins from a place of forgiveness. When you wake up and your feet hit the floor, you are forgiven. When you go to bed at night, you are forgiven. And he looks at this woman and he says, I don't condemn you. Now with that knowledge, go and walk in freedom from your sin. Go and sin no more, knowing that you are not condemned. So Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 6 when he's looking at, at the, the, uh, to the church in Rome. And he says, does grace mean that we can just continue in our sin? And he said, by no means. Grace is not a license to sin. He says, actually, it's the opposite in Romans 6.14. He says, actually, sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Because you have this recognition that you have been forgiven and you walk in that forgiveness and you begin your day in a place of I am forgiven and redeemed in Jesus Christ. You walk in freedom from there, not to earn anything. You have his love. You have his forgiveness. Church, when, when Satan reminds you of your faults and your failures and your sins and your past, we present the blood of Jesus Christ and we recognize I am clean and pure and holy and righteous forever. 
Uh, I saw something online a little while back. I think Missy might have posted it. But it said, when, when Satan tries to remind you of your past, it's like a thief who breaks into your old house to get to you. You don't live there anymore. And that's exactly what's happening when Satan is throwing your past at you, saying, do you remember your failures? Do you remember how far you went? You say, but I don't live there anymore. I'm not there anymore. I am under the new covenant of grace and forgiveness and righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. So his life is pointing to this transition that is taking place in the spiritual. But his teachings point us right there too. In John chapter 6, the people come to Jesus and they say, what work can we do? What, what is the work of God that will earn us that favor that will get us into the good graces of God? And Jesus is, so we're, Jesus, uh, we're getting there. Jesus answered, the work of God, the great work of God, the work of God is to believe in the one he sent. The only problem with this is it's too easy. It's so easy that it's hard for us to grasp. If my kids want some money, I'm going to tell them, go earn some money and then I'll give you some money. Jesus says, I've taken the earning. I'm not going to give him much money. It's still going to be a quarter. We've talked about that before. <laughs> the work of God, Jesus said, is to believe. You know, Jesus never talks about grace. But the moment that he gave his life on the cross... If you begin to go through the teachings of Paul, it's all they talked about. Because that, that covenant of grace was sealed on the cross. In that moment, over a hundred times, just in the New Testament, it's grace and grace and grace. And by grace you have been saved. Ephesians said, it's by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, but it's the gift of God. It's all they talked about. Not by works, so that no one could boast. Renee, if you would come. Uh, in Ephesians, I love this. Paul is writing to the church, and he says, uh, Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of his grace. There was this moment after Jesus gave his life where... where Someone like John would look back on this man and say, if I'm going to describe him, this is what I'm going to say. He was full of truth and he was full of grace. He may not have talked about it, but everything about his life shouted grace. Church, we have redemption through his blood. That means you have been purchased. We have forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of His grace. 
Do you know what the riches of God's grace is? That means it doesn't matter how dark your past is, what you carry into to this day. If you put it on a scale, it will never, ever outweigh the riches of the grace of God. And this morning, church, we, we need to get a hold of this. This reality that when you wake up and, you're, and you see the failures and you see the mistakes, that we can present the blood of the Lamb, that we are covered and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, righteous and holy and pure, made perfect in Jesus Christ. Can you guys stand this morning? If you'd close your eyes with me. I believe there are some in here this morning that, that carry a banner with them of, of sin and failure and when we wake up the first thing we think about is how far gone we are and I believe this morning the Lord wants to take that banner from you wants to take the burden and he wants to replace it with the truth law came through Moses. Truth comes through Jesus Christ. The truth is you are loved. You are chosen. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, that's me. I know that, that I need to, to let go of some things and allow God to love me and allow myself to believe it. If that's you, church, would you just slip your hand into the air for just a moment? God, you see every hand and you see every heart. And I pray as Renee leads us, Lord, that your spirit would just wash over us, God, that your presence would wash over us. there would be a newness, God, a cleansing of our hearts. Church, in my mind, I'm just seeing these images of, of, of these waves coming and washing over hearts and just bringing purity and newness. As Renee leads us for a few moments, will you just close your eyes and allow the Spirit to do that to you this morning, to wash over you, to wash the impurities away. Lord, I pray, Jesus, that that 
This morning there is a washing and a cleansing that takes place, God. And we will recognize as we leave this place that we've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. That we will take on the identity of righteousness in you. Purity and holiness in you. I pray, God, that you will, you will lead us, Lord, into, into righteousness, Lord, that, Lord, any daily battles that we might have with sin, God, that we will begin from a place of forgiveness and from there, God, walk in freedom. I pray that this will always be a house, God, where your spirit and your glory and your presence dwells. And Lord, that each person in this place will always be a, a house, God, where your spirit and your glory and your presence dwells and overflows. And I pray that as we leave this place this morning, that your presence would overflow and, and touch those that we come into contact with. Lord, we cry for a move of your spirit, an outpouring God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, thank you so much for being here this morning. We're going to do it again next week. Yeah? Yeah? All right, have a good week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, May God bless you.